As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. Welcome to the Steelers Outpost Podcast, a proud member of Sports Drink Network. This is Tom coming to you from the Washington, D.C. Outpost. Nick joins me from the Houston Outpost. We are now in the second round of the playoffs. And Nick, as we watch these games, is there any reason that the Steelers should be optimistic about their situation next year? No. It's, they've rehired Matt Canada, and they're going to be terrible for about 60 years, probably. So thank you for listening to the podcast, or maybe we just talk about the glory days at this point. Back when the Steelers were winning Super Bowls with really solid QB play in an era where you could play defense. No, I think it's really exciting where the playoffs are at, and we're recording while we have time before the Sunday games, so we don't know who's going to win Bills and Bengals and 49ers, Cowboys. But regardless, you're looking at this round of the playoffs where the Chiefs took care of the Jaguars probably would have blown them out if Mahomes didn't hurt his ankle in the first quarter and the Eagles blew the the Giants out of the water. So with the Giants and the Jaguars gone, we've gotten rid of the riffraff. We've gotten rid of the average teams, the fun teams, and now only the elite remain. And the interesting thing is the NFC has the best teams by far with the Niners and the Eagles being dominant on both sides of the ball, both the Eagles and the Niners have dominant offensive and defensive lines. They have great skill position players on offense and boundary guys on defense. They get a ton of sacks. Obviously, the Niners have Joey Bosa, the probable defensive player of the year, TJ Watt type guy, Von Miller type guy. And then the Eagles don't have one guy, but they have a horde of 10 defensive linemen who led them to the all-time NFL sack record, if I'm not incorrect. Those teams, to me, are so much better than the Bengals, the Mahomeses, and the Bills. But obviously, in the AFC, you have the unbelievable quarterbacks of Burrow, Mahomes, and Josh Allen. And so I think this is the perfect jumping-off point to talk about where the NFL is at, where I was just replying to or retweeting someone who said, if you're a Steelers fan, you just watched what the Eagles did to the Giants, how could you still want the Steelers to draft a receiver, namely like a Jordan Addison in the first round? And I do agree with that take because I think that the Steelers or the Eagles should be the inspiration for the Steelers on how you can build a great team if you don't have an elite top five quarterback. Because you still have to have a good one. Jalen Hurts is really good, and his numbers will say he's top five, but clearly he's not in the same universe as a Mahomes or Allen, but 
the Eagles are showing that this is possible, right? And this is the second time the Eagles have done this. And a lot of the team, they've, they've retained some of the, a lot of the star players, but this is a pretty different team from when they did it with Nick Foles. And you just see the Eagles and their organizational philosophy basically be like, yeah, we need great lines on both sides of the ball. And then I'd say on this Eagles current run, they did, a, you know, they struck gold with some of the skill players and stuff like that. So I think that's really encouraging. And obviously you see San Francisco and we talked about the coordinators a couple of days ago. Like, yes, we'd love to say that Kyle Shanahan's growing trees. He's obviously a big X factor, the big X factor for that team. They have a seventh round rookie quarterback leading them through the playoffs. But overall, their lines are dominant. Their skill positions are dominant. They made a critical trade for McCaffrey when they had to. The same way that the Eagles made a critical trade for A.J. Brown when they have to. So all I'm saying is that the team building aspect is really encouraging. And that's why you'd like to see the Steelers prioritize making sure that those lines are shored up. And if you look around after that, if Kenny becomes a very good quarterback, what do the Steelers have? They have superstars on defense, playmakers who turn the ball over and sack the quarterback. They have really exciting perimeter players on offense. And then that's what you got to do with the rest of it is fill in those lines. So if anything, I have been more encouraged than ever after these playoffs have gone on. And uh, you just have to accept that, yeah, the other teams that are in there, yeah, they got Shanahan, Mc, uh, Mahomes, Allen, and Burrow. And that just doesn't grow on trees. And I don't think you can really manipulate your way into getting one of those players. I don't think you can just tank repeatedly unless we're going to say, you know, Trevor Lawrence and the Jaguars accomplished that. But that's more of like, a, hey, get your mind off of the, the want to win the lottery there. Of course, we all do. And we're glad that Ben slid to 11. But I don't think it's a death sentence, especially when I look at the Eagles and the Niners and how much stronger of an overall team I think they are as opposed to the Bills and, and the Chiefs and everybody else. Uh, but, of course, those guys will always be there. Something you said just struck a nerve. And the Cleveland Browns are the epitome of futility. When you talked about tanking, you know, all those losses they endured, and there was some optimism, like, yeah, they're going to be able to stockpile draft picks, which they did, and here they are once again in the cellar. It's true, and... Some would say it was successful when they beat the Steelers, really crushed the Steelers before Ben let a late comeback um, in that playoff game. And then they, the quarterback, Baker Mayfield, get hurt, gets hurt the next year. He plays hurt the entire year. He doesn't play that well. And then they jettison him for Deshaun Watson, obviously with all the things going on with Deshaun Watson, and they guarantee him, what, like $230 million. And now you kind of turn around, and you're like, hey, all those tanking years when you're drafting at one and you develop these this incredible roster of skill, all those guys' contracts are coming up. And now you have the highest paid quarterback in the league. So because you're desperate because of Patrick Mahomes and Josh Allen, Joe Burrow, think if the, the Browns just stayed the course with what they had with Baker Mayfield, where they were kind of hitting a stride where it was like, wow, they can run on any team in the NFL. There is no team who will be able to stifle their run game if they had just made a few extra additions here or there to, to maybe get some play-action bombs in there, I would be much more scared of a, of a team like that. Not more scared, because obviously, you know, you have Allen, you have Ben, you have Brady. That's always going to even things out. But it's just not a prohibitive ingredient that you need Shanahan, that you need Mahomes to get deep in the playoffs. And I think the Steelers are, are showing that. And the Browns, you're right. It's a great model to look at and be like, you had two options, and you're going to opt to try for the – 
you know, we're going to hope that the star quarterback carries us. And obviously we all know the stats, uh, and I don't know them off the top of my head, but the amount of quarterback, uh, teams who have won the Super Bowls in the past 20 years with top-paid quarterbacks is pretty shockingly low. When you look at the situation, it just shows how on the edge of a knife it is to push all the chips into the middle to like capture a window. As you just pointed out, the Browns spent all that money, and it doesn't take anything to throw the train off the tracks. It takes a quarterback, you know, getting uh, – getting laid up or, you know, name your problem, but it doesn't take much for all that, for that investment to just not, uh, not pan out. Yeah. And I heard some interesting, Michael Lombardi, I think has talked about this on Pat McAfee's show where a lot of everybody's hiring offensive coaches now. Um, and you and I have talked about that being probably the smartest strategy, just because if you're a defensive coach and you have a good offensive coordinator, like Brian Dayball for the bills, you're going to lose him within a couple of years, because that's how they hire head coaches. But even if you want an offensive coach as a head coach, again, it's circumstantial. You can't just choose a guy like Hackett or Cliff Kingsbury. These guys were getting fired left and right. You kind of got to get lucky. And maybe Sean Payton happens to be the guy who's available, like he is this year. But he, they're not available every year, right? So, like... Lombardi made the point that these offensive coordinators might be trying to build these pass games because if you get a quarterback to put up big numbers in the pass game, you're getting a head coaching job. And it detracts from what these teams can actually become because you're trying to force that that pass game around. And I wonder, you know, if the Steelers stay the course, there's going to be teams that can run. We've been sort of everybody in the public has been predicting, hey, the run and, and fullbacks are going to come back in vogue soon because Bill Belichick started doing it a few years ago because the defenses are getting so light. And I don't think that that's a wild take. It's just sort of the most sensible thing. Like, you can – the run game could come back in a big way. And if you look at the Eagles and the Niners, they are the definition of that. And they get it done in different ways, whereas the Niners have the historic greatest offensive coordinator – in, in many, many years, whose dad was the greatest run game coordinator of all time. So this is a dynasty of zone run philosophy. And then the Eagles, their strategy is good, but their, their players are incredible. They have an incredible line, and then their quarterback is a really solid running quarterback. He's not Lamar Jackson, but he just, I think, had the second most touchdowns by a quarterback ever, like with 12 or 13, and he's big and durable, and they just build the team right. And then after that, what are we going to do? We're going to throw bombs. It's run and throw bombs, sort of like what, what Ben was like early in his career. So these playoffs are so fun. Like I do love having the incredible matchup of Burrow, Allen, and, and Mahomes in the AFC. That just feels historic. And then having some great teams in the NFC. Obviously, when this podcast comes out, we'll know who's, who's actually in the championship game. But I've just been more encouraged by the Steelers at every step throughout this offseason. And the Matt Canada move being one that I'd categorize as being 50-50 on, like we talked about in the uh, in the podcast earlier. Not because I think he's going to grow to become a great coordinator, but just because I think sometimes team building is a multi-year process, and part of that process might be letting Matt Canada be the sort of training wheels to get everybody up to speed and then dumping them after next year once the quarterback and everybody has you know, routine going well, I hate to sound like somebody who vacillates, but this is definitely his last chance. Not 
Year one, year two, this is definitely it. No excuses, right? I don't think you're vacillating. I think, yeah, that's what well, we said. Well, it sounds last. like, you know, when he first, when they first chose him, it was like, okay, I can see maybe he, maybe he's just going to be sort of unpredictable coming from college. I mean, this wasn't you, I know. You, you predicted this, give you credit. Yeah. Um, so that's that's worth a cup of coffee. But anyway, th- this is sort of all things in place. Now he's he's been on the hot seat long enough. He should be facile enough in the box to make changes on the fly. Hopefully he expands the playbook. And he's got players, right? Even Even with this year's offensive line, it's more than serviceable. Can we just turn our attention for for a minute? And I know we're not ready to go through the draft in detail, but just I did a little a little digging yesterday to look at the situation. Now, when we talk about next year, you and I are both convinced that the Steelers will not pick an offensive tackle in the first with the first pick. Are we not? Are we in agreement that they will not do they it? Will not they will not do it. Never done it. You in will their not. History? Yeah, I think we're in agreement. Okay, but. <laughs> Are we hopeful that they will pick it within their first three choices? Because we're picking at 17, uh, 30, in the, shoot, sorry, 30, 32, and then, yeah, first, 32 and then first in the second round, yeah. right? Technically, yeah, that would be 32 because there's uh, only 31 picks this year because the Dolphins got just taken away. Yeah, I still stand by what I, I've said the entire time. They need to draft the best offensive lineman available, regardless of position. If it's center, if it's guard, if it's tackle, anything. Because James Daniels is a starter. He's the guard. He's the only one to me that you could possibly feel good about saying, oh, that guy's a slam dunk starter. Why would we draft another one? Not, hey, Denmore's looking better than we thought. Like, oh, you know what? Chooks is actually proven to be a capable guy. That's not what we're looking for. We need slam dunk starters. Because if you talk about Dan Moore and Chooks that way, Kevin Dotson, that sort of sounds to me like you're talking about B.J. Finney. Like, oh, you know what? Beecham. Whatever. Beecham, oh, he is right. Good. He can <laughs> play. And then I'd feel great about having those guys as the backup linemen because we know that that's going to be a critical position next year. And every year when you make making run, you need six, seven really good linemen. And I think downgrading one of those guys is the perfect move. I can't see how you would look at any of them like a George Pickens and be like, whoa, we're not taking a receiver in round one. I still have it's you. It's an advantage almost to be able to have so many needs on the offensive line. Yeah, that's you, a good point. You truly could, to me, take anybody who matches your athletic profile and, and demote whoever is currently starting to a backup because you only have one guy who's a slam dunk. we got to keep him in. That's the guard James. Okay, we didn't talk about this ahead of time, so it just blew up my whole my, my approach here. But may I just offer this insight or, or observation on insight? I was looking at other teams that are drafting uh, who have an offensive tackle need, and I, I'm using I'm using um, the Draft Network, which is you know really good information as far as you know being able to dig onto these players. There are eight choices, seven choices ahead of the Steelers with an offensive tackle need. So I. Which, which doesn't mean that they're going to choose them, just like we think the Steelers aren't going to automatically go with OT or offensive line. But it just they could consume offensive tackles pretty quickly if that's a, a big demand for those teams. Um, and this is not a, an incredibly deep class, at least as tackles go. I understand your yeah. point. You know, we'll take a center, we'll take a guard as well. But as you look at these names, and I was, you know, we were talking about this yesterday. It's a little scary that you know them before I told you. The guy from Northwestern, Peter Skaronsky, Paris Johnson from Ohio State, and Broderick Jones from Georgia. I mean, there are some 
it might not be a deep class, but the guys at the top are very good. Let's let's zoom out from like the specific players and let's just look at the strategy. There's two things. The Steelers have basically never traded back in the draft and they've basically never taken a tackle. It they have a new general manager now. It's time to do one of those things because the way I feel about this is like we said, these windows are insanely quick and the Steelers are in one right now because you have defensive player of the year guys, you need to strike now. You need to spend above the cap. That's why you drafted the quarterback. That's why you're trying to win the Super Bowl. It's like Matt Canada. Hey, it is a this year thing. You need to win within the next few years before Najee, a guy you spent a first round freaking pick on, you know, is has aged out. So bearing that all in mind, there were a lot of revisionists, history revisionists this year saying the Steelers should have taken Creed Humphrey. They should have taken Creed Humphrey. Nobody on the earth had Creed Humphrey as a first rounder and the and and we didn't know that he'd be this great player. But he was pretty much universally the center regarded as a really safe pick. Second round pick, slam dunk, maybe third, but like this guy's going to be a starter. He may not be a pro bowler. He ended up being the best center in the league. But what I'm getting at is the Steelers being in the window now, they just need a starter and they just need to bolster those lines to me. So if they take that pick at 17 with a second round Creed Humphrey type lineman, I don't think that that's a bad pick because you're building to win the Super Bowl right now. You're not trying to build this team for 10 years. And then secondarily, that's why it would be time to either take a tackle because it may just be the best move for the team right now or trade back. And why do they not want to trade back? I would assume that's because the Steelers put a massive emphasis like the Ravens on athletic players, really big, really fast, really strong. But that weirds me out because they took Artie Burns and Terrell Edmonds in the first round. They reached on these players. Now I'm saying, hey, yeah, I'm down to reach on a lineman. But they reached on um, projects. Like not, hey, this guy kind of has a limited athletic upside in Creed Humphrey. That's why he was supposed to fall. Edmonds and Burns are like, these are boom or bust, but they both run 4-3 and they're athletic freaks. So I'm saying, please don't do that. But that shows me you should be okay with reaching on players. You just need to shift the mold of what you're really looking for in that department to me. So that's why I'm like, I just don't know how you can mess up this draft. You have so many options. Trade back, take a guy who's more of a second rounder, just bolster that part of your team. Could you explain to me the reason you'd trade back, why you think that would be a good strategy just because like you said if there's not value there for a great lineman at the top of the draft and if you don't want to reach on a second round guy or whatever it may be just go back because i don't think that the steelers are in a position where they need to draft superstar players okay. if someone falls to you fine awesome you get shazy or you get to castro but otherwise it's like we just need starters now and they need numbers i really don't think that the steelers have massive holes and i just think that an offensive lineman is so much more important than a linebacker or a corner who I know they need but it's like look you don't have a top five quarterback you have one of the worst coordinators in the league you need to overwhelm with talent Lines that line is going to do that for you alright you know? good I know we're trying to do a power episode here and I, I just wanted to talk about one thing that was of interest to me and I'll try to tie this into the NFL let alone the Steelers but this name image and likeness movement have you been tracking it at all? It it 
really doesn't matter to me, and I think that that makes my opinion probably, I don't want to say like worth listening to, but my opinion on it is I don't care we do that not much. Care. But it's from like a um, like a catch-22 standpoint where I'm like, yeah, this is going to create some weird problems with competition. Yeah, you might be screwing some of these kids. They're going to lose some of the adversity training that they'd be having by transferring an NIL, and it's gross, and it's disgusting. But then on the other hand, it's like, well, the college football put themselves there. So, like, this is just what it is, and water will all find its level um, in terms of how it's impacting football. But I, but when it comes to individual stories, that's just I think that's interesting from just, like, a, a narrative standpoint. You have a big one from Florida you're saying? Yeah. So I'll, l- let me just give you my sort of macro view of this thing. And I think you said it right. I mean, this is going to shake out over time because you're not dealing with mature people. You're dealing with basically kids, parents, obviously all the way through from high school. What's amazing is the numbers that are being thrown around right now. It remains to be seen whether this is sustainable, whether these companies who are spending literally millions of dollars on these very young athletes, high school and you know early college, uh, whether that'll pay off for them. But will it change? Is it changing the face of college football, college sports, but we're focused on football? And obviously the portal has already done that. I think this NIL movement is going to accelerate that. I'm just not sure it's just how long it'll, how much it'll push and how much it'll change. And I have a hard time understanding how that will affect the NFL eventually. But, you know, these quarterbacks who, who, essentially go to three schools before they land and start somewhere. I mean, there are tons of stories like the guy who's at, who played at Pitt this year. Sure. Columbus came in late. Um, Jordan Addison goes to USC late. It's just, it's just interesting. So the two stories that got my attention, the first one is Jaden Rashada. He's a California four-star recruit. He originally signed with Miami. He reneged on that and then signed with the Florida Gators. Apparently, he fell in love with that team for some reason. And now they are thinking about pulling their commitment to there because his commitment to Florida was predicated on a four-year, $13 million NIL deal that he signed with something called the Gator Collective, which I am understanding to be basically a fan club but it's some sort of channel to get the these sponsorship dollars. That number, you know, I, I it blew me away. Four year, thirteen million dollars. If if that's what we're talking yeah. about in the future, that is hard to believe it's going to be sustainable. But the other, and, and we'll see whether those are all facts or just sort of puffery. Well, you know, while his agent is trying to get him more money. The other story, and do you know, uh, Livy Dunn, Olivia Dunn, the gymnast from LSU. No. My friend. Oh yeah. yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Then I didn't want you to be the only one in the country. If I if I know about it, you certainly know about <laughs> it. But she's got ten million followers across you know Instagram, TikTok, and Twitter. Her value right now. Sure. I get a, there's a list of the top one hundred nil deals. She's worth they say three million dollars today, and I think she's making. She yeah. she's talked about. She has signed seven figures worth of deals at this point. Great. mind-blowing and so she doesn't need to she doesn't even need to be good at gymnastics at this point no i mean models have been getting paid for years i, don't, I just don't know why any of this matters i guess is my thing I, I i think people just get angry at like young attractive dumb kids or whatever who get paid a lot of money but it's like how do i think it'll change the nfl like not at all because 
if you look at all the rule changes and everything that's changed in the NFL, we watch the old clips of the Steelers Super Bowl runs. You see how much has the game changed? Like we are still just as into it and it's bigger than ever. Like I just feel like water always finds its level with that kind of stuff. And any like real change would be microscopic. The only, cause all this stuff was happening too. Like, they just, it was duffel bags of cash to get you to Florida versus Miami back in the day. So it, it's all still going on. I don't have a tremendous amount wrapped up in the morality of it. it of course, the, it, your initial reaction is like, this is weird. Like, this, this feels odd. But at the end of the day, maybe the only positive thing that could come is like, hey, if you're making enough money in college, maybe it actually keeps people in college for an extra year and you get better rivalries that way and... I, yeah, I don't know. I just uh, I, I obviously I think a lot of these kids are going to get screwed on on losing the ability to to fight through adversity. But I also think a lot of people get screwed by coaches who lie, and you get to the I don't know. I Nick, just, Nick, so college is so boring. I'm, I just can't do it. I, I I almost regret bringing this up, but it's of interest to me, so I just wanted to talk about it. And I might blow your mind when I tell you this doesn't make me anger at anything. I see this as being aligned with. The way the NFL sort of their their monopoly blew up when you know right. when free agency was a part of the contract. Now we know the owners still run things, but I mean they lost a lot when free agency came you know came into being the way it is and players can move around. The NCAA has been losing a lot because of this portal. Now I don't know if they're literally losing money, but they're losing control. Right. And this is one other thing that takes one lever away from sort of the man, and I'm just astounded at the scale and the money how much so this is like advertising my pillow and you know viagra there's that much money in advertising to pay all the sponsorship money to these hundreds maybe thousands of athletes it's just mind-boggling but that's me i think just people just have a ton of money i think that's what it feels like because it's like you're paying them to go to florida like yeah, I don't care if this guy goes here or not. You have no chance. Alabama's going to beat you by 40. So like, people just have, yeah, but we'd like to be better than we are now. And so people just have money. I guess that's the shocking thing to me about well, it. Well, when you think about a young player, it does. I, I hate the sniveling you know, young kid who's sort of calling the shots, like the, AA, you know, the, the guy who's got the AAU uncle managing him, and the college team has to hire his, uh, his father or his uncle as an assistant coach. But I do appreciate <laughs> I do appreciate that the coaches also aren't in total control. You know, there there's more balance and power, and I think that's that's a healthy thing. Where because as you said, you know, could get pulled into a college, get pulled into a situation, and before the portal, he's stuck. Even if the coach leaves the next year, a la Canada. Remember, Canada was at Pitt uh, and recruited Kenny yeah. Pickett to Pitt. That's a lot of peas. Anyway, I said yeah. my piece. Thanks for letting me talk about that. We are, we're going to close out here. We've got a couple playoff games we're going to look at this afternoon. We're going to find reason for more optimism for the Steelers. So hit us up on Twitter at Steelers Outpost. Shoot us an email at SteelersOutpost at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Until next week, go Steelers. Okay, bye-bye. One, two, three, four. Those are numbers, but you already knew that. If you want to know what number you're going to pay each month for your car, use Kelly Blue Book My Wallet on AutoTrader. They're really good at numbers. AutoTrader.